Welcome to the Power Trends Podcast, produced by the New York Independent System Operator, where we discuss energy planning, public policy, and other issues affecting New York's power grid. Hello, this is Kevin Lanahan, Vice President, External Affairs and Corporate Communications at the New York ISO, and welcome to another edition of the Power Trends Podcast. Today, we're speaking with Jeff Bishop. Jeff is the CEO, co-founder of Key Capture Energy. Key Capture is a utility-scale battery storage development company with offices in New York City, Houston, Salt Lake City, Utah, and their headquarters here in Albany, New York. They have 54 megawatts currently in operation, 200 megawatts under construction, and a development pipeline of a considerable 2.5 gigawatts over the coming years in New York, Texas, and other projects around the globe. So we're anxious to speak to Jeff today. Battery storage is certainly a significant focus in building the grid of the future. Jeff, welcome to the Power Trends podcast. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. If you could just give me a little bit of your background and how you got to the point of founding Key Capture Energy, and then tell us what is it like to create a battery storage company? I think our listeners would be interested to hear what that journey was like. Yeah, definitely. So I got my start in clean energy in uh, 2002, where I worked on developing a wind farm over in Morocco. Even though that project didn't work out at the time, good projects and development never die. And so it did eventually wind up getting built with a different owner down the road. But it really kick-started my passion for the entire industry. So my degrees are in engineering and in business. And I rode the wave for wind energy companies through the mid to late 2000s and uh, worked on projects in upstate New York and western New York starting in 2006. So probably back in 2016, it really looking at the grid and seeing how trends were, were changing uh, the entire energy market there became a few overarching themes. So one of them was that coal plants were going to completely be offline in the U.S. by 2030, which in New York today, they're offline now. Number two, inefficient natural gas plants and inefficient peakers, dual fuel peakers, will soon be offline pretty much every jurisdiction. And whenever you add on a bunch of new intermittent wind and a bunch of new intermittent solar, you really need something to be able to keep the grid stable and be able to provide capacity. And so at that point in 2016, I was having these conversations with a former colleague of mine, Dan Fitzgerald, who you know has grown up in Albany his, his entire life. And we, we both came to the same conclusion that battery storage will have to happen as long as the cost makes sense. And so then it was just looking at where's the cost trend going? And so battery storage follows the exact same cost trend that solar did 10 years ago, where any time you increase the quantity produced by a factor of 10, prices decrease by 20%. So when you go from 1,000 units to 10,000 units to 100,000 units, each time you add on a zero, prices decline by 20%. So we knew in 2016 that something was going to happen on that just because batteries were following the exact same trend. And so we started developing projects in New York, in New England, and then in Texas that would be able to perfectly meet that cost curve when batteries would be economic versus the overall project development life cycle. So we put our first project on in New York in 2019. We put our second one online in 2020. In 2021, we will be constructing one project near Buffalo. 
And then 2022, that's where we really are expecting the huge amount of growth and going from project sizes that were 20 megawatts today to 200 megawatts next year. Talk a little bit about the magnitude of difference between a 20 megawatt battery and a 200 megawatt installation. What kind of changes do we see into the grid from battery that size, uh, 200 megawatts versus a 20 megawatt uh, facility? Yeah, from a project development perspective, doing a 20 megawatt project versus a 200 megawatt project, it's the same process. And so it's the same amount of permitting, same amount of working with local stakeholders in order to make sure you have your project properly cited. The same amount of conversations with interconnection, you know, both from the utility and from the New York ISO side. And so a lot of it is the same. At the more macro level, it really just becomes a fundamental question of how you put commercial contracts around it. And so with us as a company, we've, we've started small, doing 10 and 20 megawatt projects in order to learn all the unknown unknowns about the market. The first time you put anything online that's never existed before, there will be a whole bunch of quirks that nobody's really expecting. And working in New York has been wonderful because all the stakeholders that we worked with from NYSEG to New York ISO to local permitting and first responders, we figured out a lot of stuff together. And so really the 200 megawatt size projects, they're, they're not inherently different than the 20 megawatt size projects. So when you're, when you're looking for opportunities, what are some of the priorities when you're examining a project that you know give you confidence of moving forward on the development? And so really with us, first and foremost, it's all about the market. Where in the U.S. does it make sense to do this? It's from a pure wholesale market and pure energy transition perspective. The second part is just a very simple question of what types of contracts can we get on the other side and how available and liquid are those contracts so that we can put that on those projects. And so that's why we've gone a lot quicker, honestly, in Texas than we have in New York, because we were able to figure out the commercial contracts that give us revenue certainty that we can lock in really attractive project debt on. And New York has been a little bit slower just because the market dynamic and availability of the commercial contracts aren't quite the same as they are in Texas. And so hence, you, you have to wait just a little bit longer for the battery storage projects to come down a little bit more on those cost curves. And so hence why I really expect in New York, we're going to be seeing a lot of deployments in the next few years. So I imagine the 3,000 megawatt goal under the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, uh, that puts that goal into statute as a game changer. Can you talk a little bit about how that might have uh, changed your outlook? So to be super blunt, it didn't. What really changed the outlook in New York and why we targeted there initially is just because New York is doing everything all at once of a bunch of offshore wind coming in, the annual NYSERDA large-scale renewable contracts, which put on one to two gigs of intermittent wind and solar online per year, is the DEC retirements downstate of dual fuel peakers. And so all of this combined, it just leads to a grid that needs battery storage. And so for us, the hard part, both in New York ISO and everywhere else in the country, is just getting access to the same market attributes and revenue streams that the fossil fuel guys do today. 
So you're talking about some of the market signals at the NISO. We've been working to implement market rules so that hybrid resources or a resource that combines intermittent renewables with storage at the same point on the grid can participate in our markets. And NYSERDA mentioned earlier, recently announced some awards from its last clean energy RFP. Key Capture was awarded a part of that hybrid solar. And I understand that this project of yours has been in development for quite a while, initially as a wind project. Can you tell us a little bit more about that project and how it evolved from being a wind-only project to a hybrid project? Yeah, so as I said at the very beginning, good development projects will always get built. It's just a question of timing. Even though the partner that we're teaming up with, BDP Renewables, you know, they originally developed a, a wind farm at a specific site in western New York back 15 years ago. Over time, you, you change based upon what the grid needs and what you can get the commercial contracts on. And so we are really happy to team up with them on, on that project. But quite frankly, New York ISO staff has a really, really hard job because you have an entire region where the vast majority of your electricity demand is complete downstate in New York City, and most of your generation is, is upstate. And there are very limited transmission lines to get down there. And so the rules that New York ISO has been working through, both at the working group level as well as you know, coming from the top down, it's all asking the same basic question of what are the attributes that the grid needs in this rapidly changing energy transition world? And how do we make sure that people get the same access to that? And so like with that, you know, overall, one of the first wind plus storage projects that we worked on in New York, you know, three, four years ago, there are a lot of fundamental questions of if you have a hundred megawatt wind farm and you put on a five megawatt battery, does it then become dispatchable instead of intermittent? If it's dispatchable, does it have to play by different rules in, in the capacity market? And does it get paid in a similar way? And so those questions overall, just as far as how these projects should be getting compensated, they're really tricky. And quite frankly, like a lot of the rules that were made, you know, following deregulation in the 90s and a lot of the rules that worked on in the 2000s, they're made to favor what was economic then. So a combination in New York of nuclear, hydro, natural gas, dual fuel peakers. But a lot of those resources aren't economic today, even though they are fully depreciated. And so now it's the fundamental question on how do you transition from rewarding the assets that don't actually perform in the world you need five years from now versus being able to do it in a fair way so that New York ISO staff can keep the lights on in New York City. So you mentioned that critical component of dispatchability and Certainly, storage is going to be an important part of the resource mix going forward, and it makes it even more critical, if, as you say, that that energy is dispatchable. We talked a little bit about the CSCPA earlier. There's a 3,000 megawatt mandate in statute now for storage investment. How much storage potential do you see in New York, especially if much of it is dispatchable? That's an excellent question. <laughs> so like on a normal winter day in New York, you need something around like 20,000 megawatts. Whenever it comes to your polar vortex, you need 26, 27,000 megawatts. And so the 2014, 2019 polar vortexes 
near did fine compared to other RTOs and ISOs. Wind energy was picked up on both days on the absolute peak times. A lot of the fundamental issues that do plague other resources of not having enough natural gas supply or not having hydro that's not iced over all worked out for New York. And so as we just look at climate change and how things are moving in the future, it becomes a really fundamental question of what will the grid fully need and how do you look at those attributes. So really with us right now, our large-scale battery storage project, you know, anywhere from 20 to 200 megawatt size projects in New York, we're able to fulfill a lot of the grid needs today. But we, we obviously aren't a silver bullet. No technology is. And so we, we can't fill all of them. And so whenever there is a one-week-long polar vortex, you will be needing, you know, a bunch of other resources in order to keep the grid stable and keep the lights and heating on. So we see a very, very clear path in the state to at least 3,000 megawatts in alone energy storage. But to be honest, 10 years from now, that may not be the right approach. So there's a very, very clear path in the next five years to two gigs. And then after that, then it just becomes a question of what is the best technology at that time to meet the needs. And hopefully we'll play a part in that, but we have no idea. Let's shift a bit to, you mentioned earlier, the peaker rule, which for those that, that may or not may not be familiar, the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation recently adopted submissions limits for simple cycle combustion turbines. These are the older peaker plants in New York City, they typically run the most stressful operating conditions, the hottest days of the summer when there's the greatest demand on the system. These units also are used and, and relied on for transmission security, supplying energy within certain constrained areas of New York City and Long Island, known as load pockets. And there is a call for using storage to replace these units. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about some of the challenges of using storage in, in these load pockets in the more constrained areas of, of downstate New York City area. There's been a lot of conversation around peak replacement and replacing it with energy storage. And in some places, that makes a lot of sense. You have what is called a brownfield site, something that already exists. You're able to take down the existing infrastructure, use the existing interconnection, put a concrete slab over the area, and build on a new project and have new life and an opportunity going forward. But the tricky part, though, is that these sites were done in order to inject power onto the grid and not necessarily to be able to extract it and charge as well. And so for us, we have four or 500 megawatts of uh, energy storage projects in development in Long Island. And we have to do a lot of studying of the grid in order to figure out where exactly we can actually charge the project. If you build a project in certain parts of Brooklyn, you're never going to be able to charge and be able to add on additional load to that particular area. And so you really have to have a generation-only type asset such as offshore wind coming in or rooftop solar. And so figuring out where those load pockets are that you can meet the needs of the grid while also being able to charge really takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And so we as a 45-person development company 
We spend a lot of time and a lot of analysis in order to figure out exactly where in the grid our projects are able to both charge and discharge. And then after that, then it becomes a question of, can we actually get this project permitted? And so there are lots of industrial areas in Long Island that would gladly welcome property taxes from a energy storage project and also have the grid needs to be able to charge and discharge. And that's really where we target and where we focus. So let's talk a little bit about transmission development. The governor recently renewed his focus on transmission investment from upstate to downstate. Is that an opportunity? Does that change the, the way that you might plan a project? Do you look at upstate differently if we're going to move power from upstate to Westchester in the load pockets and load centers in New York City? What was your reaction to the recent announcement by the governor? Yeah, we need it all. And so as somebody that used to live in Chelsea and Manhattan, we, we need to keep the lights on there uh, as well as everywhere else across the state. And so the, the only real way to do that is the complete all of the above approach. And so we need those 9,000 megawatts of offshore wind to come into Long Island and into New York City. We need the rooftop solar. We need all sorts of distributed solar, three to five megawatts on the distribution lines on the grid. And we need transmission. Batteries, we work best whenever we can use the existing infrastructure better. And so for us, we target a lot in what's called Zone G, which is the lower Hudson Valley north of New York City, because there we're able to put a battery online that is able to effectively use the existing transmission and pull power down from upstate New York whenever it is not necessarily needed in upstate New York and be able to store it for when it is needed in New York City. And so transmission lines coming in, they will definitely impact the price signals overall and where are the optimal places to put a battery on the electric grid. And that's okay. I'm actually going to be delighted in uh, eight or 10 years if my prices on an existing project become lower because of a new transmission line, because that means that the grid fundamentally is working and people are following economic signals in order to put the right investments in place. So we will continue to need transmission lines coming into the city. Governor Cuomo is 100% correct on that. And he has had transmission initiatives over the last decade. And I really can't wait to see more of them. It just opens up more opportunity. Jeff, I do want to throw in one additional question here. Make sure that we ask you what some of your ideas or recommendations for changes in the market rules might be? We fundamentally think that attributes should get paid for. The New York State of the Market reported that the 10-minute reserve market, that natural gas generators were not actually showing up within 10 minutes of getting called for their 10-minute reserves. And yet the market rules don't change on that, and they don't get penalized. And so for us, Somebody like energy storage that if we get called on reserves, we can respond within a quarter second. We're not getting paid for that. It's the same way with capacity where existing generation gets paid a full amount for capacity, even though during polar vortexes, your hydro facility may be iced up. You may have broken pipes for natural gas. You may not be able to tap into your auxiliary fuel for dual fueled projects. It's really just that fundamental question of, what is New York ISO going to be needing 10 years from now whenever you have the continued retirement of the fossil plants? You have 
the electrification and transportation very, very quickly happening. And you still need to keep the lights on in New York. There are a ton of stakeholder discussions. New York is not in a vacuum. What happens in PJM, Ontario, ICE in New England clearly affects New York ISO as well. FERC, federal issues as far as how people are really looking at the interplay between state policy and grid needs. A lot of these are will be worked out with time. But as a developer who wants to continue to build out my upstate New York company, I just want to see these changes happen sooner. Lastly, Jeff, I have to ask, uh, what weighed into the decision to make Albany New York your headquarters? And what have you found so far making Albany your, your company's main location? So upstate New York does not sell itself nearly well enough for clean energy. Just the Albany region alone, you have Plug Power and uh, Latham doing fuel cells. And they're doing amazing in the public markets today, and their growth is pretty amazing to watch. You have New York ISO uh, across the river from us in Albany, and you just have this incredibly well-educated workforce that understands energy. And so for us, we located in downtown Albany because it's the absolute right mix of really educated workforce combined with clean energy understanding. And so we've been able to really tap into the talent pool in the general capital region and really build out a really wonderful team. And so we love being headquartered in Albany just because of the ability to both attract that workforce and then also create the right ecosystem for a company that we're really proud of. So Albany, New York is our headquarters. And then we, we do have a secondary office in Houston as we continue to build out some Texas projects. But in reality, upstate New York is, is really the place to go. And I cannot encourage enough uh, for other clean energy companies, even my competitors, to come to Albany and set up shop there. It only helps all of us as we continue to develop this cluster. Jeff Bishop, CEO, co-founder of Key Capture Energy. This was incredibly interesting. We really appreciate you taking the time. And we're delighted that you're a neighbor in Albany. And as you said, we encourage others to take a look at Albany as a terrific economic development opportunity. And thank you for your time today, Jeff. Yeah, of course. And we are hiring. So uh, by all means, I do encourage anybody listening to this, you know, both people in the capital region as well as outside, look at us as far as careers. And we would love to have more people coming to upstate New York and working with us directly. Terrific. Thanks again, Jeff. Thank you for joining us. As a reminder, the New York Independent System Operator, NISO for short, is responsible for reliably managing New York's power grid and energy markets and providing independent data to policymakers and the public. For more independent info, please visit the NISO blog at www.nyiso.com blog.